Guys, would you like to, to grab a seat? Um, I think it's worth us... Um, I just wanted to point out that all the youth today are joining us upstairs. So can we give them a little supportive round of applause? Great to have you guys on the balcony. Um, fantastic. Do grab a seat. And uh, if you're online, uh, great to have you with us as well. And um, I wanted to recap a little bit. So this is the last in our sermon series. If you've been here for the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at uh, the manifesto of Jesus. So the manifesto of Jesus is what Jesus uh, talked about when he went into the synagogue. Uh, he, he said uh, some profound words about what he was called to do and also what we as Christians are called to do. And we've been looking at it for the last few weeks. And what I want to do today is to kind of round that off. And uh, we're going to be moving to a new sermon series, uh, looking at the book of Jonah next week for three weeks. Um, and then, uh, and yeah, so not that Jonah, another Jonah. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing. Anyway, so that's what we're doing today. We, if you'd like to follow along, we're going to just read that passage in Luke chapter 4. So um, if, you wanna, if you've got a phone, you want to look at it, um, we're going to look at that passage, Luke uh, chapter 4. And uh, we're going to start a little bit earlier than what we've got on the screens. And we're going to look at uh, the, just the context of that. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. So if you're following along, start verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This passage from Isaiah 61, Jesus applies it to himself. He says, what God wants to do is going to be done through me. He's pointing to himself. But he also signifies the beginning of a movement that has no precedent in the whole of the history of humanity. The growth of the church. Twelve disciples who followed him and began to do the things that Jesus did. And we are sitting here in this church 2,000 miles away, 2,000 years later, because they did that. The manifesto of Jesus is the commissioning of Jesus for all of his followers to do the things that he did. And we've been unpacking that throughout the weeks. Uh, we've looked at good news for the poor. Uh, we've looked at binding up the brokenhearted. We've looked uh, last week at uh, healing. And uh, it was great, to, if you were here last week, it was a great opportunity just to pray. And we, uh, we prayed for anyone who would love healing. We had a few words of knowledge that some people responded to. And um, I just wanted to ask um, Alex just to come up and share a little bit about uh, last week. Um, Alex is one of our trustees uh, at St. Nick's, and she's an amazing servant involved in all sorts of things, including CAP and uh, running all sorts of things. But um, just tell us a little bit about... Um, what you responded to, and then a little bit about what happened. 
I've been really, really cold for two and a half years. Really, really cold. Um, and that was one of the things you asked people. So um, Andy and I came up together because I'm not very good at coming up on my own. Um, and we prayed. And I'm not wearing a down coat today. And I'm not wearing a cashmere cardigan, which I have worn all the time through this summer. So thank you, God. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. And that was a specific, uh, someone had a word of knowledge about someone who ha was feeling shivery and cold. It was in our prayer meeting. I remember it. And I remember thinking, well, that's an interesting one. I don't know, I'm, don't know if anyone will respond to that. And it was for Alex. And that just makes us go, the Lord knows what's going on in people's lives. He knows what's going on in your life. He loves you. He cares about you. He cares about Alex. And uh, that is one of the signs of what Jesus came to do. And it's what we're supposed to do. So it's amazing to have done that. And we're not going to stop doing that. We have a chance to pray for healing. So we're going to pray later. If you love healing for anything, uh, why don't you just say, yes, Lord, please, would you pray for me and ask someone to pray for you? We'd love to do that. Today, I want to speak about the last section of the manifesto of Jesus. Jesus says this, this is the year of the Lord's favor. And what I want to tell you today is that the favor of God is on you. The favor of God is on you. God's favor is his approval. His approval is on you. When he looks at you, he approves of you. You have the favor of God on you. You could say you're his favorite. You're his favorite. If you ever watched uh, Strictly Come Dancing, uh, Bruce Forsyth, uh, used to say to the couples, he used to always say, you're my favorite. And everyone used to think, why you say that to every single couple? Does that really count? Does that really count? And actually, I used to get a little bit annoyed by him saying, you're my, you're my favorite. Because I was like, well, obviously, you said that last week. They're clearly not your favorite. They can't be. Not everyone can be your favorite. It's like in The, in the Incredibles. Have you seen The Incredibles? Uh, when the, the four, there's a family of superheroes, and there's a mum who turns to a son called Dash and says, uh, um, you're not just special. Everyone's special. And he says, well, that's another way of saying that no one is special. And that's the temptation when we think about God, is that if we think about God's favor on us, you're like, well, of course, you know, you love everyone. What's special about me? There's nothing special about me. Many of us struggle to believe there's anything special about us at all. Why would God approve of me? Well, if I look at my life, I think there's so many areas that I'm not doing very well in. It's very easy to sort of look at yourself in, with a negative perspective. And actually, our whole culture uh, exacerbates that. Social media exacerbates that. But the truth of it is the words of Jesus. Are you going to listen to the words in your head, the words of the culture, or the words of Jesus? Because the words of Jesus are, he approves of you. Jesus says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. God's favor is actually on you. And if you think, well, of course his favor is on me because I'm pretty good at most things. <laughs> I don't know if you think about that. It's not really about you. God's favor is because of who he is, not because of what you've done. It's what he's done. 
on the cross, Jesus died in our place because we had nothing to offer. We're broken, fragile. We're all flawed. And yet God loves us as a father loves his child and his approval is on us. I was really struck um, today, uh, it was actually Wednesday, you may have seen this in the news, but there was uh, a woman called Anita Alvarez who was part of the American uh, swimming team at the World Championships. And just as she began to finish uh, her performance, uh, she began, she fell unconscious, Uh, she fainted. And she began to drift down to the bottom of the pool. And this is a picture of her drifting to the bottom of the pool. And uh, amazingly, for me, I saw that image and I just, that is a shocking image. And it made me think, you know what? If If it's up to me to prove myself to God, that's about as well as I'm doing. I'm drowning. I'm struggling. You may feel like that in your life at the moment. You're struggling. You're drowning. You're not even able to perform anything. But the next thing that happened was that her coach, a lady called Andrea Fuente, um, that's her. She dived into the pool. She swam down to her. And the next picture, I think, just shows what happens. She picks her up and she takes her to the service. And in, in doing so, she moved that quickly. She saved her life. They're able to bring her around, and she's okay. For me, this is a picture of the gospel. I've got absolutely nothing to offer God. I've got no uh, credentials that are going to make him think, you're fantastic. I'm not doing particularly well in many areas of my life, and I often feel exhausted, tired, run down, depleted. And what does God do? He sends his son, Jesus, to dive into the water, to rescue me, to pull me up to the surface. Why? Because he loves me. And that's why he did it for you, because he loves you. His approval is on you. He's rescued you and taken you to the surface. And that's why anyone who encounters Jesus and realizes that Jesus has died for you, if you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for you because he loves you. That's why his approval is on you. That's why Jesus can say, now is the year of the Lord's favor. God's favor is on you because he loves you. I find it's hard to imagine that God could love so many people, isn't it? But I've begun to understand that a little bit by being a dad. So Barney was born uh, four and a half years ago. And when he was born, it was quite a difficult birth and it was the end of a difficult journey. But when he arrived, I was just overwhelmed with love. I, d- I thought I, would, I might appreciate him. But I had this amazing love for him. I was just overwhelmed with love for him. And um, I'm glad I did have a bit of love for him because he absolutely wreaked havoc with our lives, with our sleep. He contributed nothing to anything in our life. He was a complete drain on our resources, our time, our sleep. And yet I just loved him. But you know what? When our second came along, Emma, who's just turned one, I remember thinking, I don't know how I'm going to feel. Like, I feel strongly about Emma, uh, about Barney, but what about Emma? What I found was exactly the same thing when she was born. I was overwhelmed with love for her too. Now, did I divide my love between the two of them? No. My love multiplied for each child. And God's love is a, God, is a love that multiplies. He loves you and he loves the person next to you. 
I, I don't know how many, I think we might have stopped at two, but if I was to have 15 children, I'm sure I would love each of them equally, passionately. God loves you and your, his approval is on you. His favor is on you. This is how St. Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace. God's grace is that him rescuing you when you can have done nothing. For in, he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You live in the best possible time in history when God has sent us his son, Jesus, to die for you, and you can know his favor. So that's the first thing I want you to know and to take away and to believe in your heart is that God's favor is on you. You are God's favorite. But secondly, God's anointing is on you. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. It's true of Jesus, but it's also true of you. 1 John 2, verse 20, I think we've got, that says this, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21, he anointed us, set his seal of ownership upon us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. When Andrea rescued Anita and pulled her to the surface, she wasn't breathing. She was rescued, she was saved, but she wasn't breathing. What happened next was a team of people gathered around and they administered CPR. They breathed into her lungs, life, and she spluttered and she came back to uh, breathing again. That is a picture of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God who comes to live within us. So not only do you have the favor of God to know that you're a child of God, much loved by him, his favor is on you, but he also gives you the Holy Spirit to bring life. And that is what the anointing of God is all about. The Holy Spirit is in you, but he also wants to commission you. That's what anointing is all about, commissioning. I, I don't know if you how you celebrated the Queen's uh, uh, platinum jubilee but one of the things i did was look back at her coronation one of the things that happens in her in her coronation is that she was anointed with oil and it was a symbolic thing based on uh, the the old testament prophets priests and kings were all anointed with oil as a sign that they were being commissioned to do something amazing to have a particular role in serving the people bringing about change that's what the queen uh, signed up to, was to serve. She was commissioned and anointed. And the Holy Spirit, in the same way, anoints us, commissions us to do the work that Jesus has called us to. And we see those all in those passages. Uh, and I just want to sort of summarize them under the three headings of our vision of our church, the evangelization of the nation, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of society. That kind of sums up what Jesus' manifesto is all about. Firstly, evangelism. This is telling people the good news about Jesus. The good news to the poor, that's what Jesus says. The, most of us feel poor spiritually, uh, emotionally, uh, oppressed, uh, 
pushed down, squashed down by life. In fact, I haven't met anyone who doesn't really feel at times squashed and oppressed and pushed down by life. And the promise of Jesus is that good news is not just for a few people. It's not based on your performance, but it's for everybody. And therefore, everybody means everyone in your workplace, everyone in your family, Everyone who you meet in the street, everyone you buy a sandwich from, everyone that you meet in Tesco's, God's love is for them as well. And most people, as I said, I think feel crushed by this sense of hopelessness and weight of their sin. They wouldn't describe it mainly as that, but it's true. I, um, has anyone done Wordle? Does anyone know Wordle? Anyone do Wordle? Anyone do Wordle? No. Okay. Wordle, for those, the rest of you, which is most of you, is a little game that you can play on your phone. Five letters you've got to guess in order to make a word. I'm quite good at it. Um, unashamedly good at it. It tends to be either one, two, or three. I tend to guess that I've only had one one. But anyway, that was a fluke. But anyway, two or three. But, um, but uh, basically, you've got five chances to get it. I got to the fifth chance uh, the other day. And I, well, I'd got four of the letters, which was O-S-E-R. And I thought, at least I'm going to win this one. I'm not going to lose. So I put in P, obviously. Poser, P-O-S-E-R. And I lost. And the word, it turned out, was... Does anyone know? Loser. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> but interesting, the word popped up and it said loser. And I thought... That's so harsh. You're just telling me I'm a loser. I know I've lost, but that's really harsh just to see that word just sitting there, staring at me, loser. And obviously, it was just telling me what the right answer was. But I just took, I took it quite personally. And I don't know whether you ever have that feeling that actually you're a bit of a loser. Well, join the club. Most of us have that feeling at time to time. But you know what? That's not God's words to you. That's the devil's words to you. You know, I heard it said this week, it was, it was profound. The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Lustful, lazy, loser. The things that you've done define you. That's basically what it is. God, on the other hand, he knows your sin. Of course he does, he knows everything. But he calls you by your name. Because you're his child. He loves you. And so when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin because Jesus has taken all your sin on him. And therefore, when he looks at you, he just sees who you are, your name. And that is the best news in the world. It means that the guilt that people carry around, we don't have to carry it anymore. Jesus has taken it. We can go, yes, I am a child of God. I believe it. I believe that the approval of God rests on me. And if that's the best world news in the world for us, isn't it the best news in the world for anyone else that we know who doesn't know Jesus? It's phenomenal. It's the best news that anyone has ever told or heard. And Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is commissioning you, is anointing you to preach, to proclaim the good news that God loves you. So, uh, pre proclaiming good news. Secondly, the transformation of society. Uh, this is what the queen prayed uh, for when before she was anointed. Pray for me that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I am making. 
We celebrate the Jubilee for the Queen because it's a historical Old Testament practice. Uh, I, I don't know if you've come across the concept of Jubilee in the Old Testament. Leviticus 25 verse 10 says this, Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a Jubilee for you. Proclaim liberty. It was basically the 50th year. So what you used to do in the Old Testament was every seven years, you'd have a year off. So crops would rest for a year. It was like a fallow year in order for them to be more fruitful the next, next time. Uh, uh, people would take a break from lots of the work that they were doing for a year. Can you imagine having a year off every seven years? Wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, like gap year. Yeah, let's introduce that. Gap year every seven years. Um, that's basically the, what people used to do, take a bit of the time. It was so good for the people. God wanted the best for them. But after seven lots of seven years off, they'd have the Jubilee year. And this was even more amazing because it was the year of liberty. What they would do is that, um, it would be proclaimed with a ram's horn. That's what the, the word Jubilee comes from, uh, the word to blow a ram's horn, which basically was to announce this is the year of Jubilee. And what it was all about was liberty, freedom. Freedom from debt. All debts were cancelled. Can you imagine? Your student debt, gone in one go. Uh, all debts were cancelled. All, sla all slaves were set free. Completely free. They could go free. They could walk. They, could have their, they, they had all their autonomy back again. It was a sign of the kingdom. And Jesus says, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, this is the year of jubilee to set the oppressed free, to let those who are weighed down and crushed uh, free. And many people in our society are prisoners today. Physically, some pe many people are in prison. But also many people are enslaved. I came across this week... Uh, something in the Bristol Post. It was yesterday. National Crime Agency uh, rescued 40 men in Bristol who had been trafficked. I don't know if you saw this. Working for a car wash uh, and they'd been paid nothing. And they were modern slaves. Slavery exists today. It's an outrage. And we're called to do something about it. But many people are oppressed not just by literal slavery, but by uh, forces within our culture. Racism, elitism, intellectualism, ageism, poverty. I was uh, reading um, Josh, um, sent me, Josh and Hannah, who live down in Harcliffe and Withywood. Uh, you may not know that. It's part of South Bristol. Uh, and it ha is one of the most deprived parts of the city and, and even the country. Uh, one of the stati statistics from 2018, 99% of teenagers in Clifton go to university. That may not surprise you at all. But in Harcliffe and Withywood, it is 8.2%. And that's only five miles away. 99%, 8%. And that's the disparity that we have in our city. And God calls us to do something about that. It's not right. It shouldn't happen like that. Many of those people who live in Hockley and Witherwood have never been to the town centre, never been to Bristol city centre. It's only five miles away. They've never seen Clifton Suspension Bridge. Why? Because they're trapped by poverty. We need to do something about it. And I'm really encouraged by what is going on in the city. There are huge challenges, but there are also amazing initiatives going on. And the church is at the forefront of it, and rightly so. It's a, so one of the joys of coming to Bristol is to see the way that churches are working together to try and fight all the causes of poverty and uh, enslavement. 
and in this church, amazing to hear about the Food Hub. Kate, it's so good to have you on board. And it's so exciting that we can play a little bit of a part in, in supporting the other food banks in the city. Uh, Kate Spence, uh, uh, Andy Spence is here. Kate, Kate, his wife, who runs uh, Spark, mentoring uh, children in primary school at risk of exclusion. Amazing work. Uh, Karen, who runs Begin Well Antenatal Classes for Those Who Can't Afford It. Um, I mentioned Christians Against Poverty, which Alex has been involved in as well. Uh, Nathan here is involved in Spear, helping those get back into work. Alice, who works at Beloved, helping those who are uh, women who are um, in the sex industry. Uh, Sandra, who works with Mentor Me. There are so many things going on in this, in this congregation. I am so glad about that. And I want to, we want to encourage that. We want to fan that into flame. We want to pray for more. And maybe God is calling you to do something. Maybe he's calling you to be involved in some way. You don't have to worry about it. God will make it clear. He'll give you a little prompt. He'll give you an opportunity. So, evangelization of the nation, the revitalization of the church is the last one. Uh, The Transformation Society and revitalization of the church. I just want to expand quickly. Isaiah 61, which is what Jesus quoted. The next part that he doesn't quote says this, Isaiah 61, 3 and 4. This is talking about the people who Jesus is going to rescue, who's going to bring about um, healing and transformation to. It says, they will be called oaks of righteousness. In other words, the person who thought themselves a loser, Jesus says, no, you will be called an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They we re- will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. God specializes in taking people who disqualify themselves, who think nothing of themselves, transforming them and making them themselves agents of change. It's what we th- see throughout the Gospels. Peter absolutely blew it. Let down, he denied Jesus three times. You couldn't get more of a spectacular failure than Peter. And yet, Jesus said, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. He does that over and over again. Why would he not do that with you? He will. And he wants to build his church with us broken people so that we can be a witness to the world that Jesus is alive. And that's why church revitalization is so important. You know, most people don't even think about Jesus, do they? Most people in your workplace never give a thought to Jesus. And someone once said that an empty church, there are many of them around, is like the palace of a long-forgotten king. People look at it and think, there's no one there. There's no life there. The king is dead. But when life comes back into a church, like it has here, people go, there's something going on there. Could it be that there's something to church after all? Could it be that this is a sign that Jesus is alive? It is. Now, we were planted three and a half years ago, but we're just one of many that's happened. It was great. We heard about this church planting conference. Josh mentioned it in the prayers. We had multiply church planting conference on Thursday. And we had people from all sorts of different denominations. We had people from the independent church, from Pentecostal church. Uh, we had lots of Anglicans here. And there was an excitement about what God is doing amongst the church. Uh, firstly, we heard, we heard from Ossian and Fatima, who came from South Africa. And uh, they came here to do a master's in Cardiff, in fact. They joined a church in Bristol. 
uh, just for a year before they went home. But God called them to stay in that church. And since then, it has grown. Uh, it's grown and it's planted. They've planted in Yeovil. They've also planted in southern Africa, uh, all sorts of places. How exciting is that, to plant from Bristol to southern Africa? Maybe we should think bigger at St. Nick's. Um, but I was so impressed by that. They're so humble leaders, but they're amazing leaders with a heart for planting. Woodies uh, are the most generous congregation. When we arrived, they said, we're so for you. We want to encourage you. We want to pray for you. Woodies have planted five sites around the center of the city. There's a new one in the south of Bristol. Uh, and they're planting left, right, and center. The Church of England, our dear old Church of England. You read the news stories, you think the church is dead. Don't read the news stories about the Church of England. The reality is that the Church of England is alive. There are 10,000 new worshiping communities planned for the Church of England in the next seven years before uh, 2030. Uh, that's the ambition that there is, is to see this nation changed. And we're part of that. As I said, we were planted. Uh, we were also planted with Patton Church in Swindon. We had Joel here this term speaking. And uh, jo uh, Joel, they started three years ago. After two years, so last year, they planted their first congregation, The Well, in Swindon. And I met, um, Paul was there at the conference on Thursday who planted The Well. Uh, I said to him, how's it going? You've been, you've, only, you've been going for a year and um, it's been, you know, part of that's been sort of covid -y times. How's it going? He said, it's amazing. Uh, last Sunday, we had 60 under-18s. We had 150 people here. We've only been going a year, and there is life. We're, that's why we want to plant a church. We're a little bit late to the party. They've already planted theirs at Patton. We need to catch up. We're planting uh, the Concord Church, uh, and we're so excited about it. Where is, where is Andy? Is he around somewhere? No, Andy. Oh, there he is. Andy. There is Andy. If you don't know Andy. Andy. <laughs> Andy and Katie are planting Concord Church and uh, in September. And there are going to be 9,000 new dwellings in that part of uh, Bristol. There's going to be a new arena. There's going to be 20,000 new people. Not, you know, many of them don't know Jesus. The exciting thing, I went up there the other day to where they are, and I met with some of the local residents. They've only built a handful of houses, and the proportion of Christians in that area is amazing. It's the Christians who've moved in and said, we want to be the first in this new uh, development because we want to tell people about Jesus. And they're organizing things, and uh, Concord's going to be amazing. We've got to do this stuff. And um, are we going to go, oh, I love Focus. One of the reasons why I love Focus, if you come to Focus, you will see, last year they launched, there were 22 new church plants launched across the country. This year there'll be a similar number. Concord will be one of them. And it's the best thing to cheer on and see what God is doing in the nation. So, the manifesto of Jesus is quite exciting, isn't it? His manifesto is to see people come to know him, to know that he loves them. The evangelization of our nation. He longs to see people set free from poverty and restriction and oppression and being imprisoned by all the things that people are imprisoned by. The transformation of society. And he longs to see all these churches multiplying. And the question is, do you want to be part of it? Do you want to be part of what God is already doing in our nation? And if the answer is yes, that's wonderful. Because Jesus says, the anointing of God is on you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you to bring good news to the poor. So my encouragement to you is, why don't we ask today that God would fill us again with the Holy Spirit?
that he'd remind us who we are. We're children of God, loved by him, approved of by him. And why don't we ask for the Holy Spirit to bring life again to the calling he's placed on each of our lives to be part of what he's doing to transform the world. Amen.